Before we dive into the sermon, I just want you to notice something that's happening, which um, you may not notice, so I want you to not miss it. Um, this fall, we have started going through the book of 1 Corinthians and just preaching right through it, um, which is not the normal way of preaching anymore. If you have caught that or not, just not just me in general, um, sermons in churches have become very topical. And they've become pretty short series. I would guess they average three, four, five sermons and onto a different topic. Um, the reason I bring that up is when you ha just walk through a whole book, um, you end up having to wrestle with things that you wouldn't choose to. And today's sermon would be in that category. Um, we're going to talk about marriage, which that's okay, but then we're also going to talk about divorce. And we're going to talk about some other sort of goofy things that were going on in Corinth. Um, and the reason I point that out to you is not just to use it for sermons, but for your own reading. Because one of the things that we can do is we can read little pieces of Scripture. And, and that's convenient and it's comfortable. And there's a lot of reading plans that will help us do that. But there is some real value in saying, I'm going to read through 1 Corinthians. Or I'm going to read through the Gospels. Because it'll do the same thing for us individually in our reading. I'm going to end up reading some things that, wow, that's in there. What's that doing in the Bible? And i got to scratch my head and maybe I have to talk to somebody or read the study notes at the bottom of the page or whatever. But it pushes us to grow. And so I'm up here and I'm going to try and talk about marriage and divorce and all that. Wouldn't be my choice, but that's what's in 1 Corinthians. And Paul needed to talk to the Corinthian church about it. And we believe the Bible's inspired for us too. And so we knew we're going to talk about it too. So I just wanted you to notice that as we're going through this. And we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about worship wars in a few weeks and how people fight over worship. And we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to have to tackle a bunch of stuff as we work through 1 Corinthians. And I knew that was in there, but I also knew this will be healthy for us. And so that's why we're doing that. So today we're going to talk about marriage. And in a sense, Corinth was experiencing what we are today. And, and that is that marriage is changing today. Uh, the number of people that I deal with who are just living together, who've said marriage is, is out, it, it, that, that don't need that anymore. And, of course, then there's even more extreme examples of people trying all new arrangements and calling it families. And we live in a culture that's changing everything and questioning everything. Well, we're not alone in that. In a sense, that was what was going on in Corinth. But before we look at Corinth, I need to remind you of something. If you were here and if you weren't here, I need to explain something. Because there was a teaching popular in Corinth that we need to understand. And it's, it was actually an ancient philosophy started by Plato, probably one of the most famous of the Greek philosophers, hundreds of years before Jesus and before Paul. And he, he taught very much that our world is divided up into that which is physical and that which is spiritual. And that which is physical is bad. It's temporary, it's not going to last, and everything bad is sort of tied to the physical world, and everything good is in the spiritual world. And so you want to focus on the spiritual world and you don't want to focus on the physical world. It was called dualism. 
and it became a very big issue in the church under the heading of Gnosticism, which you don't need to remember. I promise you to get into heaven, you're good. But that's just what it was called. But it was, it was a big issue. And, and we looked at it before when we were looking at, at chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, because you could, you could take that thinking and go to one of two extremes. And in chapter 5, we saw the extreme that said, well, if the physical world doesn't matter, then what I do in the physical world doesn't matter. And that means I can do anything I want. If I have a physical desire, I might as well satisfy that physical desire because it doesn't matter. And there was some weird stuff going on, and we looked at it in 1 Corinthians 5 because they said it doesn't matter. But as I said, there was the opposite way to interpret that dualism. And that is that if the physical world is bad, then I should have as little to do with it as possible. Because it's bad. I want to live my life focused on the spiritual world, and I can't wait till I get out of this physical body and go to live in the spiritual world again without anything to do with the physical. And that was an extremely common thinking in Greece, and it came right into the church in Corinth. And it produced a really different way of thinking about marriage. And that's what Paul had to tackle. Okay? So, if you turn over with me to 1 Corinthians 7, that's where we're going to camp out today, because that's the chapter that's all about all these issues that came out of this. I want to start with the first five verses. Now, for the matters you wrote me about, Paul says, and then it's in quotes in the NIV, what they asked Paul about was the thought, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That was the teaching out of this dualism. And that's what was popular with some people in Corinth. That's the subject matter Paul's writing about. Now, this is what Paul has to say, starting with verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and then only for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is what was going on in Corinth. Now let me sort of explain what that was talking about. There were people who came to believe that sexual relations, which are obviously very physical, are wrong. And if we're really spiritual, if we really are focused on God, this spiritual being, then we should be focused there and not on physical relations, especially sexual relations. So some of them came to believe that after they were married. And so what was happening is that you had some couples, one of which was saying, Honey, I want to be spiritual, and I don't want to have anything to do with physical anymore. 
and maybe the other didn't believe that. And that made some tension in the marriage, as you can imagine that. But the one was saying, but, but sweetie, I'm spiritual. So we just shouldn't even bring this up. And so there was clearly tension going on in the marriages, in the relationships. And Paul says, wait a minute. We need to face some things here and clarify some things. That it's not wrong, and even more, you have a duty to each other. This isn't just about yourself and your spiritual superiority. We have a duty in marriage to each other. It was even happening in engaged couples who hadn't even married yet. If you go back to chapter 7 and read in verse 36, Paul talks about not just to the couples who were already married, but the couples that were just engaged. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants he is not sinning. They should get married. Okay, do you see the picture of the same teaching being applied now to an engaged couple? What they were practicing, and we read about, they called them spiritual marriages. Let's just have a spiritual marriage. And that means nothing physical will ever happen, but we're going to be married. But just on a spiritual level, because that'll show... We are real spiritual people. And we have nothing to do with that evil physical world. Paul recognizes a reality there that says, wait a minute, that sounds great in theory, but what about our real desires that don't just go away? And our desire to be with each other physically, we're already married or we're getting married. And he says, it's okay if those desires are there, get married. You can have that physical relationship. You are not sinning. And that's the point at which Paul was correcting this teaching in Corinth. There's really two things that I would say Paul is trying to um, say to them. One is that marriage is not wrong. Physical marriage. A man and a woman joining their lives together. It's God's design, and Paul understood that. And he never um, says marriage is wrong. We're going to look at some things he says about marriage. But he never says it's wrong. He understands that God created us, male and female. We are designed to come together with that partner, that spouse of the opposite sex, and be joined together in marriage for life that's God's design and it's not wrong but the other thing Paul teaches about marriage is that marriage is not about me if you notice the first paragraph we read they were depriving each other because they were focused on me I want to appear spiritual and he says wait a minute you're not your own and in our culture today, that language rankles some, I'm sure, when you read that. But we need to understand what Paul is saying. If you've been around here much, you've heard me preach on Ephesians 5, Paul's longest passage about marriage. 
But in that Ephesians 5 passage, he starts in verse 21, where he says, Husbands and wives submit to each other. The literal term is stand under each other, serve each other, hold up each other. Marriage is not about me. And I think if we think about it, we know that to be the truth. Any marriage where each person is in that marriage for me, we'd all say that marriage doesn't have much chance. It's probably not going to work. Because we learn real quickly marriage works when it's not about me. I'm looking at how can I serve my spouse? How can I help her? And she's looking for how she can help me. And that's when marriage works. When it's not about me, but we're serving each other. Which lines up perfectly as Christians as we're called to be servants and to sacrifice ourselves for the others. And Paul says, that's how marriage works when it's not about me. I'm not focusing on me. Now, when I said about sermons through this, uh, studying through a book, you just have to tackle what comes. Well, Paul's talking about marriage, and he goes on to talk about, you know what? If it was up to him, he'd just assume you skip marriage. Okay? Let's go back and read more of chapter 7. Okay? Verses 6 through 9. I'm giving you this direction about marriage, he says. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. Paul was unmarried. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Based on what Paul says here, we have a pretty clear conviction that Paul himself was not married. At the time he wrote this as a Christian, he was not married. He didn't see marriage as wrong. And I think some interpret what he says here as Paul is condemning marriage, and I don't think he is. He writes too much about marriage and how it should work in other books, in other passages. He did see marriage as a distraction. It forces us to compromise in our time. Paul was able to look at himself and say, I am 100% time a missionary for Jesus Christ. I am constantly out teaching, working in the church, because I never have to worry about a spouse. I never have to worry about children. I am 100% for Jesus. And I don't think Paul would tell you he was missing something. He says in here, he had been given this gift. We call it the gift of celibacy today. But it was a gift in a sense of Paul had a fulfilling life as a single person serving the Lord. And he says, if you can do that, it's a great life. I am fulfilled because of the gift God has given me to do this. So don't avoid that if it might be a gift for you. But he also knew it wasn't a gift for everybody. 
He says, if you, if you don't have that gift, get married. That's what you should do. Rather than be tortured by desires or fall into some type of sin, go ahead and get married. But if you have that ability as I have, then rejoice that you can devote your whole life to serving Jesus. Well, that's a challenge for us and a challenge to evaluate. But I think one of the things, and we're going to see that some more here in chapter 7. I think one of the challenges in Scripture and understanding Scripture is that you have to look at all of Scripture. It's very dangerous to take one verse in Scripture and build a whole doctrine on it, a whole belief on it. Because you can make Scripture say some pretty quirky stuff if you just take one verse and run with it. You need to take that verse, but then you also need to say, but wait a minute, over in this book we're told this, and over in this book we're told this. Now how do we fit that all together? Because Scripture doesn't contradict itself. It doesn't tell us opposite things are true or wrong. So how do we fit this all together and take it in the bigger picture? And we have to do that here. Paul says some true things. If you have an ability to serve the Lord 100% of the time with your life, and God has given you that ability, that's great. But we also know God designed us by His design to be male and female and to marry. And that was His plan. And so obviously to do that is not wrong either. We have to fit all of that together. Well, that brings us to divorce. Because as Paul is talking about all of this in chapter 7, he goes on to say, now we need to talk about divorce here as well while we're talking about marriage. Let's read verses 10 and 11. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. So this is coming from God, Paul's convinced, and not just his own opinion. Later he's going to give you his opinion. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So he says, avoid divorce, don't divorce. And clearly in my lifetime, which is long, <laughs> the church has had to wrestle with this issue. Some of you who are my age or older, there was a time when if divorce happened in the church, the person was out of the church. It was over. That was a, a, a sin of great unforgivableness, whatever you want to call it. We've had to struggle with that. To wrestle with what Paul says, I want to step back one minute. The word for sin in the New Testament is hamartia. Its literal meaning is to miss the mark. The easiest way to explain it is you're shooting an arrow at a target and you miss the target. You shot your arrow, missed the circle, landed in the grass. That's the literal meaning of sin. When there is a target that God gives me and I miss that mark, I miss that target in what I do, how I live. Well, if you think about it, that's what divorce is. In the sense of, if you go back to Genesis, God's design was one man and one woman getting married for life. 
And when that doesn't happen, we have, quote, missed the mark. We haven't hit that ideal. Now, if you think about it, that happens in all sin. It's not just about marriage. God says, live this way. When I don't live that way, I miss the mark. I sin. Whether that is about gossip or jealousy or lying or whatever it might be, whatever that sin might be, stealing, that's missing the mark. God says, my plan, my ideal, the best way to do this, meet somebody, fall in love with somebody, marry that person, live happily ever after. That's the best way to do it. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And we've missed the mark. And that's what Paul is recommending to people. Because what he needs to talk about is an issue that was coming up in the church. And some were saying, I think we need to divorce for this reason. Let's go back and see what Paul reads now down in verses 12 through 14. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. So now Paul's saying, this is my opinion. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy." Now, if you're not scratching your head at this point, you should be. This is uh, digging in deeper. But first, I want to back up and not lose sight of the main point Paul's making. Remember, this is when the church was brand new. There was nobody who had, been gro who had grown up in a Christian family. Nobody. There was no such thing as Christianity earlier. Everybody was an, a convert as an adult. But what that meant was you had a lot of marriages where someone became a Christian and the other didn't. They made a decision to accept Christ and this new religion, which nobody would heard about, and one does and one doesn't. Well, that obviously introduced some stress into the marriage. And clearly some Christians were saying, I'm walking out of this marriage because my spouse isn't a believer. And Paul says, don't do that. I'm not giving you permission to do that just because that spouse is an unbeliever. And he even goes on to say why. And this is where I told you we got to look at all the scriptures. Where he says, I'm going to give you what I think the meaning is, okay? And then I'll go back and say why. I think what Paul is saying is, don't you realize that by staying in that relationship, with that unbelieving spouse, it can have an impact where you can hopefully influence that spouse to become a believer with you. And if you break off that marriage and walk away, you've lost your chance to do that. So hang in there. And it obviously has an impact on the children too. Now I understand what Paul literally says, that that spouse is sanctified through the spouse. But we know from other scriptures, very clear scriptures, that I can't save somebody else by my faith. 
it's not possible. God looks at each of our hearts, where is our faith? And I can't save my children, and my children can't save me. Everybody has to come to faith. So I think if we take just this verse, without looking at all the other verses, we can build a doctrine that says, my righteousness is going to save somebody else. And yet there's other scriptures that say, no, wait a minute, that's not true. But I think what Paul is trying to say is, I can have a huge influence on somebody else. That they will hopefully become sanctified by staying in this relationship. And my influence for Jesus can eventually get through to them and my influence on my children. And so don't walk away from that marriage because of what can happen. Now, I had no uh, little amount of uh, anxiety working on this sermon, as you might imagine. And I fully understand that we have numerous people, more than I'm probably even aware of, sitting in this room who have divorced. And it's a difficult subject. It's painful. And Paul very clearly says, don't do it, avoid it. Which is what Jesus said as well. I think it is a very difficult subject that is easy for us to make pronouncements about for others. Let me go back a little bit. I told you already history in the church. In the 60s, if someone divorced, they were put out of the church. In the circles I grew up in. In the circles I grew up in, they were just put out of the church. I had a first cousin, a pastor's wife, who went through that. For 15 years, she couldn't enter a church building because of how the Christians had treated her. Now, what I watched happen over time was as those elders' kids went through divorce themselves, and suddenly elders started to say, we need to slow down. We need to think about this. And views changed. Not because divorce was good or great. I, I've never ran into a divorced person yet. Now, I'm not saying they're not here or don't exist. Who said that was the greatest thing I ever went through. It's painful. It's difficult. It's hard. And all that Jesus was trying to say, all that Paul was trying to say, is that, you know, this is the ideal. This is the way to do it. And that's what you ought to aim for. Try to hit the mark. Follow that design of God. And if we miss the mark, we do what we do anytime we sin. We pick up the pieces we try and learn from the pieces and we try and go on. What else do we have to do? And that applies to all of the sins we wrestle with. Some wrestle with divorce. Others of us wrestle with a different sin. We all struggle with that issue. I think the church has reached a more balanced or realistic position when the church says, this is the ideal, aim for this. Try to do this. 
And when it doesn't work, we're going to pick up the pieces and we're going to learn from it and we're going to go on. And that fits into every category of sin we all wrestle with. And the reality is we all wrestle with sin. Maybe in different areas and in different details. And that doesn't excuse us. But as Brent said in his communion meditation, we are privileged to be holy, not because of how well we've lived, but because of what Jesus did for us to cleanse us so we can enter the holy place. Whatever our sins have been, whatever sins we struggle with today. And Paul is trying to hold up marriage in a world that's gone a little crazy back in Corinth. And I think as the world we're living in is going a little crazy, we still need to hold up God's original design. That marriage as God intended it can be wonderful. It's the first time God looked at creation and said, wow, this is not just good, this is very good. And that's what we ought to hold up for our kids. And that's what we ought to hold up for people who walk through the door. And say, let's go for it. That's the target. Sometimes we may miss, but we're going to keep shooting for that target. And that's what we ought to do anytime we wrestle with sin and we wrestle with doing what God wants. And that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 7. Okay, thanks. Let's pray. Father, um, this is a hard chapter. Things challenge us. We have to scratch our heads. But you put it in there in your divine, perfect wisdom. Knowing that it would be hard for us, but it was some things we need to hear. And so I pray that you would help us as we read your word, that your spirit would guide us in how to apply it in our own lives. Father, we're all sinners. And I'm so thankful that you still love us and that you knew we needed Jesus. We can't do this on our own. We're always going to mess up. But it just shows us how important your grace is, your love, how much we need Jesus' blood to wash us of our sins. Thank you for that hope and for your love. In Jesus' name.